Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about the launch of President Biden's re-election campaign and how it reshapes the fortunes of three powerful Californians, Vice President Kamala Harris, Governor Gavin Newsom, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Biden officially launched his campaign Tuesday by posting a three-minute long video. His pitch to voters, the next presidential election is going to be all about freedom. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Biden has some serious challenges, though, starting with the fact that 70% of Americans don't want him to run. That includes 51% of Democrats, according to a new NBC News poll. Most of the people who don't want him to run say it's because he's too old. Biden's 80. Usually when Biden is confronted with questions about whether he's too old or too moderate, he often replies with the stock phrase, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And according to most polls right now, the alternative is former President Donald Trump, and voters like him even less than they like Biden. So what does the launch of Biden's reelect mean for Kamala Harris, the former San Francisco DA and California senator, and the first woman, the first black person, and the first Asian American to hold the VP job? What about Newsom? He says he has sub-zero interest in running for president, but he has been traveling a lot to red states lately and attacking Republicans like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And what about McCarthy? Until the Republicans choose who their presidential nominee is, McCarthy is the face of the Republican Party. How will his actions shape the presidential election? Here to talk about all this is Elaine K. Mark. She's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C., and author of the book Primary Politics, Everything You Need to Know About How America Nominates Its Presidential Candidates. She's also worked on a presidential campaign. She was the senior policy advisor to former Vice President Al Gore's presidential run in 2000. I started by asking her what jumped out to her about Joe Biden's campaign launch video. Well, the one that jumped out at me, especially because it was new for the Democrats, is freedom. Freedom used to be the hallmark of the Republican Party, right? Because they didn't want the government in their business. They didn't want the government having regulations, et cetera. So freedom used to be their thing. Now we flipped, right? Because all of a sudden the Republican Party is about being in your bedroom, telling you who you can have sex with and who you can't have sex with, telling you that you should have a baby when you don't want to have a baby. I mean, all these things are, that used to be, you know, freedom from government interference, they have now become, interestingly enough, the party of getting in people's business. The president didn't offer a list of accomplishments. He didn't talk about, you know, here's all my investments in sustainable energy. We didn't cut the cost of prescription drugs. Instead, he started with also images of the January 6th insurrection of the Capitol, how Republicans want to cut Social Security. Why do that? Well, because I think the overriding issue in this campaign, particularly if Trump becomes the nominee, is a political party that, in fact, tried to overthrow an American election. And that's unprecedented. It is absolutely undemocratic with a small d. And people are still appalled by it. And they're appalled by Trump's role in it. 
look, this could all change if Trump ends up not winning the Republican nomination. But right now, this was a message that was geared at Trump and geared at MAGA Republicans. I think that's also sort of a concern for both Biden and Trump. Uh, You you saw that NBC News poll that came out uh, over the weekend that said 5%, like one, two, three, four, five percent of Americans are excited about a Biden-Trump rematch. I mean, that's, that's basically just family members at that point. Now, when people, when people doubt Biden, he always comes back to the, he's fond of saying, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. But I mean, you're basically basing your campaign strategy that Trump is going to be the, the alternative here. And is that really a strategy? Well, it's a pretty good strategy considering that it worked last time. And you have to look at what's happening to Trump's numbers. Okay. Trump squeaked by in 2016. In fact, he lost the popular vote nationwide, but he squeaked by in the Electoral College. In 2020, the tables were turned and Biden squeaked by in the Electoral College. In just a couple of, there were four states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, where his margins were fairly narrow, but it allowed him a significant Electoral College victory. Now, the question is, what will happen next time? We don't know how the campaign's going to play out or anything like that. What we do know is Biden's voters were young and Trump's voters were old. And that means that in two years, Biden's voters will be still around and still voting. And there will almost certainly be fewer Trump voters. The second thing we know is that Trump has been no good at expanding his base. Even when he was in the White House, all he's done is try to rile them up and keep them coming and voting, but there simply are not that many of them. And there will be fewer and fewer as time goes on. Yeah, but still, Elaine, Biden has some serious challenges. It start with the fact that 70%, 70% of Americans do not want him to run, including 51% of Democrats. Must many of those concerns, about 49% of those people say it's about his age. These are incredibly bad numbers. Yes, he has younger voters, as you say, but they're not so enthused about his campaign. What does he have to do to get them excited? I think he has to keep governing the way he's governed. He has to be slow and steady. That's all he promised the American people is that he wouldn't be shambolic like Trump was. And then he'd get things done. He'd get vaccines out. You know, he'd try to protect the economy. He'd he'd do those things. And I think he gets good marks on those. Nobody is making a substantive case against Biden. Basically, people are happy with the way Biden's been performing. You can't do anything about the fact that he's old. And nor can you do anything about the fact that no one in the Democratic establishment wants to take him on. You can't run nobody against somebody. There's no serious candidates running against Joe Biden. Biden's biggest problem is that somebody else wins the Republican nomination. There's a new phrase around in Washington, which I first heard right after the election, which always makes me sort of giggle, which is they talk about normal Republicans. What is a normal Republican? A normal Republican is probably another phrase for old-fashioned Republicans. What Republican should he fear the most of the people who have announced and the people who are likely to announce? Well, that's hard to say because I don't think we're finished with people who've announced. But if I had to guess right now, I'd say that Biden 
should fear Governor Sununu of New Hampshire or Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. They're both normal Republicans. They're, you know, experienced people. As far as we know, they don't have any scandals in their past. If somebody like Nikki Haley or somebody like Chris Sununu actually managed to win the nomination against Trump, then I think Biden would be in real trouble. How will Joe Biden's decision to run for re-election affect Gavin Newsom and Kevin McCarthy? Elaine Kmark and I get into that after a short break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. We're back with Brookings Institution Senior Fellow Elaine Kmark explaining what the new presidential campaign holds for Vice President Kamala Harris. We remember, Elaine, that in 2020, Biden said, look, I view myself as a bridge, not anything else, to a new generation of leaders. But he, you know, he's running for a second term. Did he, did he just pull up the drawbridge on Harris or, or what happened there? <laughs> I think he figured that there's plenty of time for the new generation, you know, to come along and that he figured there was things he still wanted to do. And look, most importantly, only he knows. Does he feel good in this job or not? Right. Does, does is he totally exhausted? Does he get up in the morning dreading it? I don't think so. I mean, I, I did speak to one congresswoman who was on with him on the trip to Ireland because she's of Irish descent. And she said, I'm exhausted. I said, why? And she said, oh, my God, he ran around all the time. We were morning, noon and night going, you know. So last time he ran, the one one big difference is this time he has a day job when he's running. He's running for president. What does that mean for Kamala Harris and her role in the campaign? Will she have a higher visibility role? Well, I think it's two things. On on the one hand, she will have higher visibility. On the other hand, she'll also have more responsibility because there will be things that she's going to have to take care of while he's on the stump campaigning. And look, ultimately, the vice president is an understudy, right? And just like an understudy in the theater, you got to be ready to take the role. I think everything I've seen, she seems to be. Now, I worked for Al Gore. So let me just tell you that the the job of vice president is a no-win job, right? If you are out there all the time making lots and lots of news and talking and talking and talking about things that the president is not interested in, you're in trouble, <laughs> okay? But then if you're not out there all the time making lots of news, people say, oh, where are you? Where are you? You're not doing anything. So it's it's literally just a rotten job from that perspective. Now, she also has a challenge. Her, her poll numbers are nearly as bad as Biden's. Only 40% of Americans approve of her, 51% disapprove, according to 538.com. What does she need to do to improve that? And can she at this point? I don't think she can. Okay. Her poll numbers are going to be tied to Biden's poll numbers. That's for sure. They're probably going to be a little bit worse because of she's a woman and she's an African-American, partially African-American. But basically, look, VP poll numbers don't mean anything. They're a reflection of the pre- how the president is doing. A vice president doesn't really emerge out from under the shadow of the president he or she serves until they are running on their own. As you say, she's tied to Biden's agenda. 
and looking to Kamala Harris's future, it might be a little bit more centrist than what she ran on when she ran for president or brief run in 2020. How will that affect her if she wants to run in 2028, regardless if I guess if, if Biden wins or not? You know, she is tied to this uh, agenda that is a little more centrist that, than uh, certainly what much of the rest of the parties uh, run on. How does it affect her? It's a tricky road, which vice presidents who've run for president have to do, right? Which is you can't you can't say, oh, I was in there for four years or eight years and I hated everything that the president was doing, right? <laughs> that not only would that be probably a lie, but people would say, what kind of schmuck are you? You know, that, okay, that this person gave you this great office and all you did is lie to them. So you can't do that. But you also have to show that you have your own ideas and you have to turn the page to the future. And I think that's how most vice presidents have coped with this. It's tough, but it does have the advantage of you've got years and years to make a national name and people all know your name. Let's talk about Gavin Newsom. He told the Chronicle several months ago that he had, quote, sub-zero interest in running for president. And right before we started talking today, Elaine, he just dropped an Instagram post shortly before we recorded this and said, no president in modern American history has been more effective in two years than President Joe Biden. Now, Franklin Roosevelt might be spinning his grave over his, you know, Newsom's claim about the first two years of the president, but still. What does what does Biden's run for reelection mean for Gavin Newsom? Well, it puts him in a holding pattern. A lot of Democrats are very admiring of Newsom. They're admiring of the way that he's taken the culture fight on, which not all Democrats have been very successful at doing. That's it's it's why so many Republicans are good at painting the Democratic Party as way out of touch on cultural issues. So I think Newsom has done a, a very good job of this. I personally think it's about time that governors of California started to run for president again because of being the biggest, most complex state in the nation with a vast economy. It's it's damn good training to be president. And, you know, having no training to be president, we saw with Trump, that didn't work out so well. And a lot of presidents who came from smaller States, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out so well either. So I, I'm I'm all for New Yorkers and Californians and even Texans becoming presidents because, you know, I think governing in a big state is actually good training. The rap on Newsom and undoubtedly would be he's, you know, from a super liberal state. He's, you know, a coastal elite. How would he how would he push back on that? Well, I think Joe Biden just showed him how freedom. You talk about freedom. You know, all these guys out there want their freedom to have guns. Okay, you want freedom to have guns? How about freedom to let women take care of their bodies the way they want to? Okay, I mean, in other words, this this picking of picking and choosing of freedoms has been pretty bad for the Republicans because they've they now find themselves in a spot where they're they've got a very unpopular program particularly when it comes to abortion, but increasingly also when it comes to guns. Now, last month, you talked about Newsom jumping into the culture wars. He created a federal political action committee called Campaign for Democracy. He seeded it with $10 million of, uh, left over from his last gubernatorial campaign. He's going to spend the next two years uh, essentially trolling red state governors, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's likely to run. 
for their record on LGBTQ and abortion and voting rights. He's also going to campaign in key Democratic races around the country. Is that the best use of his time and power and money? What else should he be doing besides his day job here as uh, governor of California? Well, of course, the first thing he has to do is do his day job well, right? Because nothing screws up a presidential campaign worse than having some sort of disaster breakdown in your own state. And then after that, I think it's, it's becoming familiar with the nation. And it is still very different. And I know that there are places that are just very different than California is. I went to grad school at Berkeley, so I have some California background myself. And, you know, I mean, the the distance between, you know, a small town in Indiana or, you know, Memphis, Tennessee and Berkeley, California is pretty big. And so I think that somebody like Newsom needs to needs to get familiar with the country. Let's talk about House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from Bakersfield. Until the Republicans pick a nominee, he's essentially the face of the GOP. He's going to be the guy going toe-to-toe with Biden on the debt ceiling battle. He's going to be the guy passing bills in the House that the presidential candidates will have to run on or at least comment on. How does how does Biden's reelect affect Kevin McCarthy? It could help, actually, in a way. Because if Biden is doing well and Trump is doing poorly, it's going to take some of the energy out of the Freedom Caucus. And Kevin McCarthy might be able to say to them, hey, guys, look, we're not doing well here and we could lose our majority because if Trump is the candidate and he's not running strongly against Biden, you know, then that could hurt the House majority. Remember, they've only got a five vote majority. It's pretty it's pretty small. So depending on how the presidential race goes, it actually could help McCarthy get some control over the Freedom Caucus, which has been, you know, that's the thorn in his side. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, that he has a very tenuous grip on power, as you say, and it could crater if just a handful of House GOP House members turn on him during the debt showdown or or whatever. And his debt ceiling negotiations could lead to a government shutdown that could hurt the Republican nominee. That's what happened when GOP Speaker Newt Gingrich and the House Republicans got blamed for the government shutdown back in the mid-90s, something that helped Bill Clinton win re-election in 1996. How could McCarthy's actions affect the election in other ways? I think McCarthy has to get out of this debt ceiling business. It's a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster for the country. It's totally hypocritical since Trump, you know, they vote, Republicans voted for a Trump debt ceiling every time it came up. I mean, it, it's, it is absolutely a sure loser for the Republicans. And if that ever, in fact, happened, you know what would go on. The market would tank. Every guy on Wall Street, every big CEO of big company would be calling Kevin McCarthy and screaming at him, what are you idiots doing? And they'd call him back. And, you know, my guess is it would would take 12 hours to reverse. And Nancy Pelosi used to talk about the frontliners, their frontliners, right? These are the people that if they lose, they lose the majority. Well, Kevin McCarthy has some of those. I mean, you know, that is his majority is not all Freedom Caucus Trump lovers. He's got some people from from difficult districts where a Democrat could win. That's his job. Hold those seats. 
And to do that, he's got to keep from letting them do things that are, you know, crazy and are going to get Democrats and independents to riled up to vote against him. Elaine K. Mark, thank you so much for being on It's All Political on Fifth Admission. Joe, thanks for having me. It's always fun. I'd like to thank you for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. You can read my story about how Biden's reelection campaign affects Harris, Newsom and McCarthy at sfchronicle.com or on the Chronicle app. I'd like to thank Elaine K. Mark for being on the podcast today. Props to the king, King Kaufman and Gary Baca for producing and editing today's episode. And remember, no matter how you define freedom, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.